0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, Happy New Year. It's the first episode of 2020, and we are in conference play in the ACC. This week's guest is my new running mate on the ACC network, and I can't wait to jump into women's hoops and a little bit of men's college basketball as well stick around, but Darlene, you know we can't start the new year without you. Let's run it. Buckets, Boards and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Episode of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks coming into the new year. And I'm super pumped to have this guest with me. Uh, She was a women's basketball standout at Clemson from 2011 to 2015. She holds a bunch of program records, including the record for most threes hit in a basketball game. Currently, one of her titles is the co-host of Out of Bounds on the Roar down in the South Carolina area. It can be heard in Greenville, Anderson, Clemson, and in Spartanburg. You can catch it on the Roar mobile app and, of course, on WCCPFM.com. She is also my teammate, running mate, in running fact, for the two-man game at the ACC Network as women's basketball analyst. She's my friend, Kelly Gramlett. Kel, welcome to the show. Monica, what an intro. I, you know what? I love working with you. Your energy is,
0: is next level, so I feel like this podcast is going to be awesome. I'm ready to go.
1: Listen, that's what teammates are for, you know. As shooters, <laughs> you know the assist is important, so I have to set you up. <laughs> I'm not sure, though, with us, like on the court back in the day, I'm not sure if there would
0: have been enough shots to go around. You know what I'm saying?
1: I'm saying. I, I, I agree. <laughs> People just have to, don't, don't play a zone. We're straight up zone. Brothers. That's right. <laughs> All right, y'all. So before we jump into ACC hoops, obviously, because that's the thing that we talk about most, I do want to share a little bit about your story. I love in this pod, especially when I have women on, who are up and coming, like to kind of hear how they got where they are. And I think for you, you know, I love that you are in Clemson on the radio talking all sports in particular football, but how did you land there?
0: Yeah, it's, it's an absolutely crazy story. So I played at Clemson, uh, like you said, and then also went to grad school here and got my master's. So while I was working on my master's, I was a graduate assistant in the Clemson athletic department in the communication department, which just has so many great people there. Um, led by Dan Radakovich, but mainly Jeff Callen, who was our women's basketball sports information director. So that's where he started. Now he's the head of communication. So he really gave me some opportunities there and just kind of worked my way up and then got into radio and was doing color commentary for Clemson women's basketball on the radio. Did that for four seasons. And that's where I met my co-host, William Quackenbush, who um, I met at a women's game. And we just started arguing about the NBA. I'm so serious. We met. And like five minutes later, we were arguing about the Golden State Warriors. And so Jeff said, hey, guys, you should do this on the radio. So then Quok, uh being the great guy he is, invited me to come sit in on the show and be an intern. Things just rolled on from there. I was offered to be the co-host of the show. And so that's how I got into radio in the first place and then started pursuing more TV and, and, and basketball color commentary and things like that from there. So just owe it to a lot of great people at Clemson and just always had a, a, a supreme interest in sports, all sports, basketball, of course, but also football. And I love arguing and debating. So that's how we got to where we are.
1: Uh, I love that. And I think for me, I have my little nest, we'll call it, of mentees. And yeah. people are always like, you know, what, how did you get there? How did you get there? And I keep saying that the journey is so different for everybody. I, at this point in my life, and it took me a minute to get here, but I rest in there really is no right or wrong answer. There's all learning experiences. Um, But for you, what do you think was the most challenging part before you landed the radio gig?
0: Yeah, no, you're exactly right, Monica. And it is hard, you know, when especially young women will ask you or me, you know, how do you get there? What do I need to do? And there's just no right way. There's no right answer. But to me, it all comes down to people and the people you meet and making those relationships, and just being honest and within, in those relationships, and not seeking out people to kind of acquire jobs, but just seeking out people to, to get to know people and to expand your mm-hmm. circle, and then things will kind of take off from there as long as you're meeting the right people, but I think one of the most challenging things was when I was doing radio, I wanted to break into to TV with color commentary, um, but I had to pay my dues, and, and that's something that you learn through sports, that so you and I both learned You know, when you're a freshman, you know, you might not get the privileges and the playing time that you get as a senior, and you have to work your way up and put in the work and get those reps. So just going through that process and then finally getting to do more TV and then work it up to ACC Network now, I think that was the hardest part, but it was also the best part because the process is what matters and making sure you're getting better every day.
1: Man, that's so true. The hardest part often is the best part when you look at how it, one, it humbles you. Uh, it it really tests your commitment and your dedication and you find out, do I really want this as bad as I'm saying I want it?
0: Without a doubt. And, you know, again, I think that's why I I personally think team sports are so important and that everyone should play a team sport, whether you just, you know, try to in high school and middle school or whatever it is, because you learn that it's not all about you and you need to be able to work with people and and put in that work and really grind. So 1,000% agree, I'm sure your story is, is somewhat similar there, but I think it also makes you appreciate where you are and just be so grateful for the opportunities that you currently
1: have. Yes, we are. Listen, I'm back here. Amen corner, because you are pretty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is definitely a basketball podcast, and we're going to get to basketball. We're recording on a Wednesday. It will roll out on Thursday the 9th. On Monday, the 12th, or no, the 13th, excuse me. All right, Kel, we got your national championship game. And you know you're my girl, but I've just got friends that are New Orleans-based that I've known a little longer. But talk to me in general, national championship, what what are you anticipating?
0: Monica, I saw you picked LSU. And when you texted me yesterday and said, hey, girl, you want to call my podcast? I thought, uh, is this the same Monica who picked LSU? Just kidding. So <laughs> when it comes to this game, I am so excited. And, you know, talk about just, just being lucky and counting your blessings. The fact that I've done radio for four years now in Clemson and Clemson has made uh, five straight playoffs. And now, you know, every year I've been doing this, we've been talking about playoffs and talking about national championships. And two of the coolest radio shows I've ever done were the two post-national championship shows where, especially the first one that Clemson won in 2016, we were down in Tampa and doing a show from a hotel room, probably went to bed at 4, 4.30, woke up and did our 9 a.m. show and fans were just calling in and and just crying on air because it meant so much to them. So, you know, football matters so much here down in Clemson. I know it matters so much to the people in LSU and the people of Louisiana. And these two teams are excellent. The offenses are, um, you know, just historical, especially LSU's with how well Joe Burrow has played to throw 55 touchdowns in 14 games is just absolutely absurd. But, you know, Clemson is built for this and they have the experience and they have the coaching staff that's been there. They have a quarterback who's been there and has won a national championship. And I think Clemson's defense is uniquely set up to be able to at least sustain this offensive, offensive attack from LSU. I'm not saying they're going to shut him down because I don't think anyone can shut down LSU. But it's just a matter of weathering the storm, getting a few key stops. And, and the key player for me with Clemson is Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker slash safety who can do it all and can really confuse Joe Burrow and I think be a spy for them Defensively, and I think Clemson is going to really focus on, you know, playing five defensive backs, trying to slow down that passing attack, maybe letting LSU get what it wants on the ground, but but slowing down Joe Burrow through the air. So I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a great game, one possession game in the fourth quarter, scoring in the 30s, and I'm going to take Clemson 37, LSU 35.
1: I did. First of all, I didn't ask you for a pick, but you know what I'm saying. Oh <laughs> <laughs> I love your pick. I love your pick. And I would not expect you ever to pick against Clemson, just for the record. So we could have predicted. Yes. Now, this is what I will say, and then we're going to roll into hoops. Um, semifinals, Ohio State, Trevor Lawrence takes that nasty hit. And I remember yeah. being, ooh, like, ooh, like, ooh, that's ooh, right? I did, I obviously have not followed college football as closely as you have, but just, you know, keeping track, Clemson steamrolled everybody for the most part. I did see something out of that unit, out of that team in Crunch time that I wondered it's almost like the conversation that people have about Yukon women when they're blowing everybody out, and all of a sudden they're in a tight game, right, like do they have the intestinal fortitude are they battle tested enough to be able to make it happen when it's tight? I was impressed by that performance
0: and so I love
1: that analogy, yeah, that's a really good analogy go ahead um, and so I just it was something that I had not seen, and so for me, I don't have a dog in the fight, really, sincerely. It does amp up the national title game a little bit more because it's like, wait a minute. It's not just teams that are running away with people. They have some constitution in crunch time. and get tight.
0: For sure. And, you know, your UConn analogy is really interesting for people like you and me who really cover the women's game. And we know that UConn plays in the American. And they used to be in the Big East with you and in your, in your, uh, your Georgetown squad. But they really roll through people because they're just so much better. Now, I wouldn't necessarily equate the ACC to the American just because the ACC has been a lot better in recent years. But particularly this year, because Florida State is so down, Miami is so down, Virginia Tech was down, Clemson really did roll through a lot of these teams, and they weren't necessarily punched in the mouth. And Ohio State did that. And the way that Trevor Lawrence responded after that hit and the way Clemson responded You know, I think even surprised some Clemson fans that Clemson really had that in them because we didn't have to see it this year. So I think it was good for Clemson to take that hit, um, you know, not just Trevor Lawrence, but the team in general against Ohio State and show that fight. And I think it will help them against LSU.
1: Okay, so with that said, let's roll with this UConn energy and let that segue us into the thing that we love that is near and dear to our hearts. Women's basketball in general, Kel, before we jump into the ACC, looky, looky, looky. After all the talk, I was actually at the American Women's Media Day about what UConn lost and not having any true All-Americans for the first time in X, Y, Z amount of years. Look who's sitting atop of the polls, <laughs> still you a few undefeated teams in the women's game. Are you surprised at all? I'm a little surprised, to be honest, because I,
0: I was possibly thinking that UConn might not even make the Final Four this year. Now, they're always a Final Four contender year in and year out don't get me wrong and they have some pretty good wins on here they beat an Ohio State team that we know beat Louisville and that's a pretty good win uh they beat a pretty good DePaul team they still haven't been tested that much and of course tomorrow they do play Baylor and I think that's going to be a huge test that game is at home remember remember Baylor beat them last year in Waco so that's a big test for UConn and we'll see what happens there but I'm surprised that Oregon lost to Louisville I'm surprised that Stanford lost to Texas. I'm surprised that South Carolina has a loss and Baylor has a loss and Louisville has a loss. So I love the parody that we're seeing so far. And I think that's what can get people a little more interested is that there are, there have been some surprises so far this year in women's basketball.
1: A little bit later, we'll get into that parody conversation across the board. I think we love it on the women's side. And I feel like I'm getting a lot of cranky uncles and old men on the men's side about it, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Okay. So, um, you've mentioned our regular title contenders. Who are you looking at this year in a year of parity? How many you think got a real shot at, well, do we want to go title or final four? I honestly think we could see some new teams in the final four this year. Yes, I very much think we will. I think the final four is going to, um, to
0: be super interesting because you're not going to see just your same old, same old. Um, but Oregon to me is still very much a contender with Ynescu. She's a game changer. And Ruthie Hebert, who people do not talk about enough. But um, she's one of the best players in the country. And look, we could see possibly, it depends on how the bracket shapes up, of course, but three Pac-12 teams at mm-hmm. least vying for a spot in the Final Four with Oregon State, who is still undefeated, and UCLA. Those are three really good teams. And then you've got Stanford, too. So who knows how many Pac-12 teams we could see in the, in the Final Four. I'm really high on South Carolina as much as it pains me to say that because Clemson people hate South Carolina people and vice versa. But this freshman uh, recruiting class that Don Staley has brought in is just elite. You know, in the, I know we don't have one and done in women's basketball, but they're kind of the equivalent of that, even though they're going to stay for three or four years, which is a huge benefit for Don Staley. But I'm super high on South Carolina. Um, I'm not as high on Baylor just because you know, I like what they've done so far. They've beaten who they're supposed to beat, but I I struggle to think that they can be a national championship contender without those guards they lost last year. Mm. And I like Louisville. I've seen a lot of Louisville. You've seen a lot of Louisville, but at times they just struggle to, um, to be consistent. I did the Louisville Duke game on Sunday and Dana Evans basically didn't show up until the fourth quarter. And when she showed up, she was great, but she's been a little inconsistent. I do love NC State. NC State mm-hmm. is a sleeper for me, as I think they are for you as well. They haven't lost yet. Elisa Kunin is one of the best players in the country. So I, it's tough to predict a Final Four just because I think there's there are nine teams. I think the the one through nine in the poll right now could possibly make the Final Four. And to me, that's really good for the sport.
1: Well, Florida State is outside your nine at 11. So I'm going to stretch it down to one through 11 because I actually really like Florida State. I agree sure. that they have... I agree with you in that they remind me of Louisville a little bit. And we've talked about those guards, um, Icomo and Wolfhawk for them. I need them to be a little bit more consistent so that I can have a little bit more faith. But I think of the teams that I've seen so far this season, I had UConn in person. I had Oregon. I'm really curious about this Oregon state squad. I've only seen like, I think I caught a half of one of their ballgames on CBS sports network. Um, I think I, I just kind of feel like we're not giving UConn enough credit. And I think, of Oregon, I love Ruthie Hebert and Sabrina, but I really think Satu Sabli is kind of the expert yeah. group. the um, group. So, Skylar Diggins said after Oregon beat Team USA that Satu was the most pro-ready right now, in her opinion. Obviously, we love Sabrina, but I just think Satu's versatility has been incredible. Um, but I think if we had to go ACC right now, I'm with you. I think it could be Westmore and NC State's year. I mean, they've been the most consistent in results but in different ways. Like, I don't feel like Aslan Koenig's shooting drought sort of to start the season stunted them because she was productive in other ways. Um, and it's just a matter of time before water reaches this level. So she's going to find the bottom of the net. So I kind of think that, like, I would pull NC State out of out of there in terms of a name that we're not used to seeing at the Final Four that really could shake things up.
0: For sure. You and I both love NC State. And I cannot wait for them to play Louisville. We do have to wait a little bit. It's February 13th. So it's going to take a minute. But they do play Florida State on January 16th. And uh, that's going to be a big test for them. But NC State, to me, they have Elisa Kunane, who's one of the best post players in the country. But they have really good guard play. You love Kai Crutchfield. She's been excellent. Uh, Ace Koenig is is as solid as they come. And then Jada Boyd, the freshman who's been coming off the bench. She's kind of that four, a stretch four player, super athletic, can rebound the heck out of the ball. If she can play better and and continue to – develop and be a true six man for them, then I think the sky's the limit. And we know Westmore is just a, a great coach as well there in Raleigh.
1: All I know is right now, January 16th, it'll be ladies night on a Thursday night at the ACC network. So we will have our eyes glued to the screen. Oh,
0: We will be ready.
1: <laughs> I'm super, super excited. All right, Cal, let's, let's flip it over a little bit in this conversation because you're down there in the heart of ACC country Mm -hmm. um the guys have talked about it ad nauseum Duke seems to be this that and the other out of the ACC Vernon Carey's having a great year uh the Jones kid at the point guard Clemson you guys have a little bit of struggles on the men's side we'll go with that kind of give me the temperature of ACC country in terms of what folks are saying on the men's side
0: well you know I think this is a most people would would agree this is kind of a down year for the ACC I think you've got Four teams that are locks to make the tournament, and then you've got your NC States and Virginia Tech, and these teams that could possibly work their way into the tournament. We saw Virginia lose last night, Mm -hmm. which was pretty shocking, and, and lose at Boston College, which is a team that you wouldn't suspect really anyone to go there and lose, and then North Carolina has struggled tremendously. So the middle of the pack, I think there's a lot of room for upward mobility for Clemson and Wake Forest and these Notre Dame teams that can get wins. Georgia tech has looked pretty good in ACC play so far. It's just, it's kind of a down year. And so when you look at the top, you see Duke, who I, who I still think is the best team in the league, even though they had that crazy loss, to Stephen F. Austin, which is just kind of unexplainable. And then I would maybe argue that Florida state, is the second best team in the league with what Leonard Hamilton does there. They always have great depth. They can shoot the ball better this season. And they're always just massive. They're such good size. And Louisville's still good, but Louisville has been so up and down. It's hard to kind of figure out what they're doing. And Virginia, Virginia can still defend, but Virginia is really struggling to score. And so I struggle to trust them because they can't score. So I think Duke's the best team. I, I really hope the ACC gets six teams in the tournament this year, but Especially with UNC struggling, and of course a lot of that has to do with injuries and the Cole Anthony injury. Uh, six teams in the tournament might be a struggle for the ACC, which is just—it's a weird time for ACC basketball.
1: Um, God, that is weird, and I'm not even like affectionately attached to it, but you know, <laughs> I grew up on back when Maryland was still in the league. Gosh, oh, I yeah. say. Ugh. Um, here's the thing on Virginia. wasn't surprised Boston College went and got them I think this is the year we're going to see some historical streaks end on both the men's and women's side Virginia can't score like you can't play basketball and not score like they're going to lose the teams that we are not accustomed to this year and that's just to your point going to be sort of the makeup of the ACC um I said to Jordan Jordan Cornette folks is another fantastic face on the ACC network as well as a basketball analyst for the ESPN family of networks. When he was all high on Louisville off the break, I was like, Jordan, who else is running with Jordan Wara? And he was like, don't worry about it. They're going to come along. I need to find that clip and insert it into this show because I kind (laughs) of predicted it for Louisville. I just didn't think that they had enough experience to maintain it. And I love Chris Mack and I'm not rooting against Louisville, but just on paper, I was like, "Mm, I'm not sold.
0: Yes, I agree with you. And, you know, we talked so much about Jordan Wara and he's been great, but... The depth around him and the guards around him, they struggled to be consistent. And Virginia, look, when Virginia has been good, and they have been great for many, many years, but it's really, it started with the the Malcolm Brogdon team, and then you you get into um, the Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, and DeAndre Hunter team, those teams all had at least one pro on their rosters. I, I don't see a pro on this current Virginia roster. A guy that you can give the ball to when the play breaks down, and he can go score, and I think we we underestimated how much Virginia would miss Hunter, Jerome, and Kyle Guy, that the system would just prevail and they'd be fine. But they lost three pros, and it's really showing for the Cavaliers.
1: A hundred percent. They're almost in the same boat as Notre Dame losing three yeah. as well on the women's side. Um, I will say I love Leonard Hamilton, and I always root for him. His teams frustrate me so much because you're right. They are always athletic. They always seem to have the talent. But in big time moments, I'm just not sure where their basketball IQ is, or their discipline, or what. Um, but if I had to pick a group to root for to shock, it would definitely be either NC State, led by Kevin Keats, who I've loved since he was back at um, back in the CAA, and then Leonard Hamilton of FSU. I just hope his kids like think, think in big time moments. Yeah.
0: I get your reservations with Florida State. That has been an issue for them. I do really like Trent Forrest as their lead guard. He has a high basketball IQ, and with him as their leader, I think that they can they can go pretty far. But they did lose they lost a lot of pros from last year.
1: It's true. As well,
0: yeah. uh, with Leonard Hamilton's group, I do like NC State. Clemson just beat NC State. Now NC State was without CJ Bryce, who's arguably their best player. But Markel Johnson is also a great lead guard for them. NC State just has to kind of get over that hump of, you know, NC State will go, they'll go beat a good team, and then they'll lose that head scratcher. They'll lose to Wake at home. And you're just thinking, come on, NC State, if you just don't lose two terrible games this year, you'll make the tournament. So just be consistent. And that's what
1: we're kind of all waiting for from NC State. We will certainly see. It's funny that you mentioned tournament bids for the ACC. I think – I don't know, just on on the surface, off the top of my head, not really digging in. I think it seems like it's gonna be a pretty strong year out of the Big Ten on the men's side. I didn't realize that Baylor was ranked so high on the men's side. Yeah. The uh-huh. And then you know, I'm a Big East girl. We don't have a ton of teams ranked. I think we had the Big East had four teams, might even five teams ranked at one at one point in the season. I don't know how the rankings have shaked out now, but I do think that the quality. My Hoyas are a little bit down. I got to see what happens. I'm going to the game tonight. Um, I do think that the quality in the Big East, um, those teams are going to be battle-tested. And we know how important guard play is in the tournament on both the men's and women's side. So the tournament bid thing is going to be something to watch this year for sure.
0: It is. Right now, according to uh, Joe Lenardi on ESPN.com, he has 10 big 10 teams in the tournament.
1: Yeah. Which not- is pretty
0: crazy on the men's side. Yeah, and then the Big East is second with six. The ACC, if you know, it ended today. The ACC would only have five teams in, mm-hmm. with NC State uh, as one of the last four in, and then you're looking elsewhere to try to get some more teams in. So, Big Ten is very deep this year. I, I like what I've seen from a, from you know Michigan State, Michigan, um, Minnesota has looked better. Some of these kind of middle of the pack programs that have looked better. And then the Big East is, is still playing good basketball. But the ACC to only get five teams in that that would be pretty shocking.
1: That is kind of crazy. I remember, I can't remember the year. I want to say, I was still living in Florida. So I want to say it was 2017 maybe when the the ACC got like nine in. And I remember oh, writing yeah. a publication I was writing with. When they all lost, not all, but like most of them lost early in the tournament. And I think that was the yeah. year North Carolina went on to win. And I was like, I think, ah, it was, and I think they had three number one seeds that year, possibly. Yes, yes. And I was like, we love the ACC, woo woo, but they didn't make it past the first weekend. And <laughs> I guess we get the ultimate trump card by winning it all. But I do think there's a little bit of we beat up on ourselves in conference play and we're a little bit fatigued by the time we get to tournament.
0: Oh, for sure. And, you know, you look at like an NC State, maybe if they were in. The SEC or the Pac-12 or the Big 12, they, they might not get beat up, beat up as much and, and might make more tournaments. When you look at last year with NC State being, what were they, 8th or ninth in the ACC, just missed a tournament, or could have been different in another
1: league. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so let's talk about parity on the men's side. Are you mad at it? Do you love it? Like, what is the take on that? What are you hearing in ACC country on that? End? Or do people not even care because the conference is just kind of down? It is so, it's so
0: weird. You brought up the dichotomy there where we love parity on the women's side. And we kind of hate it on the men's side i do think just overall you know a lot of people have said this it's just a down year in general for college basketball because a lot of the top players in the um 2019 high school class either aren't playing like Lamelo ball or rj Hanson or are injured like a cole anthony and then you go from having your zions and rj barrett's and all that stuff and then you go to this class where you just don't have a lot of talent And you lost a lot of older players from last year's uh, class that were very um, influential in college basketball. We bring up those Virginia guys, which are a perfect example. So I think it's just kind of a down year in general. Um, Gonzaga still looks really good. Duke still looks really good. I'm impressed with Baylor. Auburn, with how they've bounced back after losing some key pieces, give them a ton of credit. So, yeah, it might be a little bit of a down year. But you know what that means? That means it's going to be a crazy NCAA tournament. And that's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm good with that.
1: I agree with you. And I kind of think that it's a little unfair to just be like, oh, woo woo. It's a down year in men's college basketball. Um, Not everybody is going to be the class of Zion. and You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think we've been spoiled, I guess, by kids whose names would be in the marquee and captivate audiences. But I think for me anyway, one of the reasons that I love the college game and I love the NBA as well, but it's a different type of basketball. You have a star, but it also is far more team oriented basketball. We get to see coaches really go to work with X's and O's defensive schemes. Um, And I also think that some of these kids are going to take leaps and bounds or programs even are going to take leaps and bounds by the time we get to March. And so this year, more than ever, maybe it's the year where we truly appreciate the journey. And I think mayhem is fun. Like I, 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 I lament the folks that are super down on it in a negative way. Yeah, it's different. You know what I'm saying? Like your blue buds, your blue bloods aren't necessarily your blue bloods, but I think it's good. I think it's great.
0: Well, and to a certain extent, the men's side has become a little too reliant on the one and done. And so when that rule eventually changes, which we think it will, uh, when the NBA renegotiates and all that stuff, then maybe we'll get back to, you know, you bring up Maryland and, and Duke and some of these teams from, the 2000s, our coworker, Carlos Boozer. You know, I can name the whole starting five of that 2001 Duke National Championship team just because we, we, were, we knew these guys because they stayed three years. They stayed four years. You knew the name. You followed their career. And so eventually, if college basketball gets away from the one and done, I think that's, that's going to be good
1: for the product as a whole. Indeed. All right, Kel. So this is how we wrap up with our guests on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. is the name of the show. And that's how we wrap the show. You have a choice. You can give me one or you can give me all three. Give me one, all three. So the definition, the bucket is the thing that you love. Give me more of this thing in basketball in 2020. I love it. I can't get enough of it. The board is the thing that mm, maybe at first glance, I'm not crazy about it, but it has some redeeming qualities, like a fantastic offensive rebound. Right. Okay. And then, Block is the thing that you want no more of. Get that out of here. I'm done with it. And so we're blocking it.
0: Okay, so this is for in-college basketball
1: right now. I'm giving you the entire world of basketball, whatever you want. Oh. Get yeah, your board or your block.
0: Oh, man. Okay, the entire world of college basketball. You know what? I'll go with buckets. First okay. thing is buckets. And um, I've seen them play this year. You've seen them play this year, just in general as a team. Give me more NC State women. I feel like they, they don't get the respect and the credit they deserve. Now, we'll see how long they can keep their unbeaten streak going, but I wish just nationally people would pay more attention to them because they're a lot of fun to watch. They play a great brand of basketball, um, and, and they can do it all. So that's my bucket for you.
1: Fantastic. I echo that bucket. I, girl, if NC State goes to the Final Four, you you think they'll send us? We got to go. <laughs>
0: Oh, we better. We need to do uh, nothing but net or all ACC live from the Final Four, and uh, we'll have to lobby for that.
1: There you go. I agree with that. All right, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining me, my friend. Folks, make sure you check her out. She's great.
0: <laughs> Monica, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, and I will see you soon in snowy
1: Connecticut. Yes, indeed, girl. <laughs> all right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Hey. Oh. Big thank you to my friend Kelly Gramlich. Make sure you check her out. All of her handles on social, Twitter, and Instagram are just her name. Classic Kelly Gramlich, G-R-A-M-L-I-C-H. Guys, we're into 2020. Thanks for listening to BBB. Please be sure to check out all of our great content from Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is every Monday on Wednesdays. It's the newly relaunched Catch and Shoot with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong. Friday, it's the pure hoops podcast with bj armstrong and eric newman and of course we'll be back with the fresh edition of buckets boards and blocks next thursday please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast rate review us make sure you comment but until next week folks enjoy your hoops buckets boards and blocks with monica mcnutt has been a presentation of pure hoops media Oh.